Bridget Cross is quite literally helping to save the world. She's doing this as a perinatal psychotherapist who helps moms and dads grow through the mental and emotional challenges that come with pregnancy, childbirth, and raising a newborn. I wish to God we had a Bridget when our kids were born 14 and 11 years ago. Bringing a new life into this world is a joyous moment, and we all see the pictures on social media of a happy but tired mom and dad with the brand new baby. But what we don't see is the numbness, anxiety, marital conflict, rage, and overwhelm that is also a very real part of the parenting journey. In this episode, Bridget talks with me and Audra about the mental and emotional challenges new parents face, the role of shame in motherhood, the role of avoidance in fatherhood, the stress of this new school year, and so much more. Truly, this episode is a must-listen for anyone who is a new parent, an old parent, maybe a parent someday, or has a new parent in their life, or an old parent in their life. So it's for pretty much everybody. So without further ado, here's our conversation with the amazing Bridget Cross. I have a bunch of questions that are more general. And so I wanted to start off with something that's real and that's happening for all of us right now and happening for every parent right now. And that's going back to school. And so as a therapist, what's coming up for your clients right now? What's mm-hmm. happening for them as they're coming in to see you? Uh, mm-hmm. What is this m- moment like for you as a therapist? Well, I think there, there is so much anxiety and fear that I think so many, I mean, I see so many parents of young kids, but also people who are pregnant or who have new babies. And I think anxiety, like during this whole period of time has been running so high. And I think in this moment that we're in now, like thinking about going back to school and like re-emerging from this sort of dark closet that we've all been in, you know, is just, it's, it's bringing up a lot. Like, cause I think for some people, it's also really exciting. There's like a sense of like, resuming normal or feeling like your kids are going to be able to get some sense of normal but also like you know like we're all feeling there's that sense of like how long will it last and will can I rely on it and will it be safe and I think something that I see for a lot of people who've had kids like especially in the last few years like so newer parents is I think that like the experience of going through like shutdowns and quarantines and homeschooling and having to stay home in some ways is like reactivating for some people, like the trauma that they experienced, like in postpartum time, um, if they did experience that. And so like, you know, the feeling that maybe you two can relate to of like having a little baby and being stuck at home and having like your whole life kind of snatched away from you in the way that it can feel like when you first have a new baby, especially your first one. I'm hearing from a lot of clients that sense of like, I'm like reliving that all over again. Like I thought that I had kind of like gotten out of that phase of feeling sort of trapped in parenthood or stuck at home or not being able to feel my freedom. Like I'd finally moved away from that and then COVID happened and I'm like right back there again. And so I think that like, especially for moms who struggled emotionally or in mental health, especially in postpartum, that has felt really challenging and and, like painful for them to kind of go back to that place. (laughs) It's almost like COVID is triggering for for many of us. And do you find uh, one thing I'm curious about too, because you're a a mother of, of younger children as well. And so this must be an unusual experience kind of to be able to uh, maybe, I don't know if you do, but uh, do you identify with, with some of what your patients are going through? Like you're kind of, we're all in this together to some degree. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think this is sort of a unique moment for me professionally where, you know, just in COVID I'm going through something personally that literally all of my clients are also going through and there really hasn't been anything else you know, other than just kind of like what's going on maybe politically or elections or something like that, but nothing like this where each and every person is being like deeply personally affected, emotionally taxed at the same time that I am. And so trying to like redefine that line between like 
what is my role? How do I like show up for people and support Mm. them and kind of hold that space for them while also like kind of going through my own thing? Wow. I mean, wow. Like that's intense. (laughs) I mean, in a way that's, that's my job, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. partly what my job is, is to manage that for myself so that I can show up for the people that I work with, but it's for sure been different with this. And I think in a lot of ways, it's actually been helpful because I have a lot lot of clients who have kids, you know, around my kids' ages. I have clients who go to school with my kids, whose kids Mm -hmm. go to school with my kids. And so just kind of having that common thread, it can be a little challenging in terms of personal boundaries, but I think in general, it's a win because people feel like, okay, you know, I'm going through this, but I'm not alone, which is like really like what most parents I feel like really need to hear. So just real quick, it strikes me that uh, I like had this reaction hearing like, yeah, you're going through the same intense stuff that your clients are. And then how can you work through the intensity of, of, of this while also showing up for your clients? And then what struck me was like, oh, that's parenting as well. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going through all this and how can I show up for my kids who are going, you know, so there's there's layers here. (laughs) Totally. Well, I mean, and I would say that being exactly as you're saying, being in the role that is the role I do for my job has all of these exact parallels in being a mom for me. Not to say that I'm a mom to my clients because I'm not, <laughs> right, but, right. but, but it is just like what you said. It's like to keep your, keep your own shit in check so that you can show up for your kids' yeah. shit, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. That's, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we do that really well. And well, sometimes Brid- not at all. Yeah, Bridget, that is the theme of the family thrive. It, yeah, us. it really is. <laughs> because I think so many of us come from a generation where, I mean, this isn't, this has not been kind of like the passed down wisdom, I, I no. think. So many of us experienced just like a complete lack of awareness, parents around their own shit. And then the resulting consequences of just things kind of kind of falling onto the family and being shared with the family and no boundaries and no awareness mm. in these ways. And so I do think it's a pretty radical shift. And it's something that is for me anyway, empowering, you know, to think that it's about me <laughs> in so many ways, managing yeah. me <laughs> and totally. other things sort of like fall, fall in from there, you know, it's about the example I set on top of that, but boundaries is definitely a big theme all the way around. And I think it's really powerful to hear that from you with regard to your life. It sounds like between clients and your your family and your kids kind of like a major theme into how you you're able to manage all of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot and I mean I will say too it for me it, it's been kind of a relearning not just with covid but also with being in Savannah because it's a small town. It doesn't seem like it is but it really is like uh. this super <laughs> teeny tiny and I'm from New York and like started work you know doing this work in New York and so in New York City anyway, I mean, I could live down the block from a client and never, ever see them. <laughs> Not a right? small never, town. Right. <laughs> no, and never know that. And like, right. I've just never had, I've never had any experience of seeing clients outside of just the clinical space. And here, it's basically just how it is, right? Like I see mm. my clients at my kid's school, I see them at the grocery store, I see them at the park. And so just having to kind of navigate like a new set of boundaries in general, but especially I think with COVID, it's even more so. So Bridget, uh, this is, yeah, this is, this is really uh, fascinating. Your work at that, the parallels with motherhood and parenting. How did you get into this? Like, so you are a (laughs) perinatal therapist and so you work exclusively with parents and exclusively with mother, like, or do you see fathers as well? Or or is it, you know, I, I I would love to see fathers, but sadly, I have not um, had any come to me on their own outside of the couple. Oh, all right. Um, okay, which all I right. think so, which I think kind of speaks a lot to just stigma around mental health and men mm-hmm. and dads in general, obviously. So, when you were training as a therapist, did you know this is the work that you wanted to do? No, not at all. It's actually kind of a second career for me. But when I decided to go back to school for social work, um, which was in two thousand. Seven, um, I actually thought that I wanted to work with teenagers, um, and that was sort of like my passion. I just felt like that was going to be what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be, you know, I'd been in a lot of therapy, 
I feel like therapy was really powerful to me when I was a teenager. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And then I went through social work school and, you know, you do various like internships when you're in that program with different populations. Um, And then I got a job pretty soon after social work school working with teens and families um, in a really like very challenging population. And like pretty quickly realized that I don't want to work with teenagers at all. (laughs) And not because they're not amazing because they are like fascinating and incredible, but just for the family element of it, doing the family work, I realized was just really not a strength of mine. So I ended up um, working for a long time, just in kind of like general adult mental health and community mental health in New York. So working like in outpatient clinics, working with just all kinds of issues, but also in general with like very, very sick people um, with long-standing chronic mental illness, very high-risk populations, but which was hard, but also wonderful training just in terms of exposure to so many different things. And then I had a baby (laughs) and I mean, a lot happened between those things, but I had a baby and I moved here um, shortly. She was about nine months old when we moved here. Yeah, 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 small, super small. And I struggled quite a bit in pregnancy, even actually before pregnancy, but in pregnancy and also postpartum with my own just depression and trauma and um, challenges. And I just kind of became really interested. I was seeing a lot of moms and families in my practice anyway. And I was just realizing, like, hey, I should get some training in this because I started kind of understanding, like, depression that occurs in the postpartum period and pregnancy, it's not the same as other depression, even though in general it is treated the same. It's like, oh, it's just depression, but it's when you're pregnant or when you're postpartum. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's totally different. (laughs) Yeah. And so I started doing some training in it. And then I started doing some um, like volunteer work for an organization called Postpartum Support International and um, ended up just like really connecting with like a whole network of perinatal clinicians and like advocates and social justice aspects and all of that and just kind of dove really deep into that. And then over a few years of training, ended up getting this certification that I have as a perinatal mental health provider. So it it was a slow build because that child is now almost seven. But I'd say like in the last three or four years, my practice has been pretty much exclusively, not 100%, but like probably about 75% in perinatal clients which is amazing. And I feel like is totally what I am truly meant to be doing, but it's not just to get back to your question. It wasn't like where I started at all. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's truly nothing like a calling that comes from your experience that comes from a deep place of knowing, you know, seeing the need, identifying the need personally. And I'm really interested going back to the, to the start, like you knew that you were you're called into the work of of therapy from experiencing how life changing this was for you. It sounds like um, mm-hmm. as a teenager, which brought you into the world of teens. And I had a curiosity mm-hmm. around the the teenage the work with that is the family work. Is it really the fact that you're the teenager isn't the work? It's the the parents. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, yeah. and it, it, it is. And yes. like, I yes. think that's the, that's the trick, right? Is that mm. the? I mean, this is a generalization, but I would say the majority of people who are bringing their children, but particularly teenagers, to therapy, are not very interested in hearing about anything other than what's yeah. wrong with their kid, yeah. right? Fix, and not mm, fix, fix this them. one. Yeah. Fix, fix that problem. Yes. Right? And And that's true with all kids. I mean, even young too, I think. But there's a lot that teenagers can do on their own in therapy without family support. But particularly, I was working like in juvenile justice within the child protective Mm -hmm. system in Brooklyn. And like, that's a really super tough population where parents and families, I mean, if the child is even living with a parent, a lot of times it's a guardian or a family member or in foster care, those adults just don't have the resources to participate in that child's care or healing at all because of their own stuff. And they need support. It sounds like the the parents. Yeah. Or the caregiver or whoever. Yeah. The family. is Totally. And so it's like a systemic, obviously Mm, like systemic problem. And there are many social workers, I think who are like really equipped with working with those populations. But I just kind of quickly realized that I was not going to be great at it because I noticed how quickly I would become really aligned with the kid 
and mm. feel the sense of like deep resentment and anger toward the family. <laughs> oh, powerful. <laughs> I'm not going to be good at this if I'm oriented this way mm-hmm. because I have to really mm-hmm. be able to like hold all of it. And that just wasn't my, I just kind of recognized really quickly that that was not the strength of mine. And also just that I was like, I don't think I want to do this. So I shouldn't be doing it because I should only be doing this if I want to. Oh, what a what a powerful observation. And um, for you to honor that and not, try to force yourself into the space of holding the space because it sounds like identifying with this kid in so many ways is a strength, you know, but just in the setting for that work is something that, that would make it very difficult for you to do kind of what is expected in, in that role. And Mm -hmm. so coming into the space of working with mothers mostly in this, Mm -hmm. in this perinatal work sounds pretty incredible because you really are working with the, the mom and totally. there, right? There's a relationship there with with the child, obviously, but it is more of that, yeah. more of that direct work, and out of a place of deep knowing um, and understanding. Yeah, totally. So, in public health, which is mm-hmm. where I come from, yeah, there's this broad idea that you know we in public health we're going upstream, like. The doctors are working downstream when a person gets sick. The doctors are, you know, fixing what's getting sick, but public health, we're going upstream and we're finding out what's making people sick in the first place. And, and so that, that, that feels kind of like your journey in a way of, of, you know, working with these teenagers and the parents and seeing like, oh, this is, you know, Mm, this is a mess. (laughs) And that if I could just get these parents, like right when they have this kid. (laughs) Well, totally. We can head off a lot of this. Well, that's so true. And then I also think within particular populations or systems, recognizing like this is like a systemic thing, right? Because with a lot of teens who I was seeing in that job, it wasn't even the parent. I mean, it was like generations of trauma. Right. And like, and so there was this feeling of like overwhelm of like, I was also a really new green Mm. clinician and I had really good support and supervision, but I was just kind of my brain exploding with the hugeness of Mm -hmm. the problem, you know? Absolutely. I have so much uh, respect. I'm in awe of the folks who can bring themselves to systemic work. Same. <laughs> and I, I, my background is in education before, before mm-hmm. getting into nonprofit work. And mm-hmm. I am just totally, totally in awe. I mean, I knew mm-hmm. I've always known that I wouldn't be effective um, in a role mm-hmm. with such an overwhelming, insurmountable, systemic, uh, oppressive aspect to it. Um, it mm-hmm. really does take a special kind of person. Yes. And I'm so glad those people are out there. Uh, (laughs) Me too. Me too. I want to make sure that we go as quickly into like the, the, the core of what you do. So mm-hmm. I really want to know what are the common mental and emotional challenges that new moms face? I mean, this seems to be like the, the, the core of, of what you're working on. Most new moms find their way to me because they are really suffering and struggling with just how they're feeling. Um, typically like, I'd say after a first baby, but it's not always, it could just be with whatever baby this is for the family. Um, So seeing like a ton of depression, anxiety, um, kind of like somatic symptoms. Um, So for the lay mm -hmm. listener, somatic symptoms would be. Yeah. So somatic symptoms um, being symptoms that are kind of taking up in the body. So like, Um, emotional distress or strain that's being expressed through your body, which doesn't mean that it's not real. It just means Mm -hmm. that it's connected to like an unprocessed emotion. So like an example would be a mom who um, maybe is really overwhelmed, stressed, panicky, and having migraines or having um, kind of chronic pain, or maybe having like a flare up of an autoimmune disorder, things like this. So I guess what I'm saying is, most people are finding their way to me because there's some particular like acute symptom that's coming on versus a sense of a more general, like I'm kind of worried about my mental health and I might want to get some support to make sure I'm healthy. I wish that they can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a big red flag that at some point just demands attention. Exactly. And and a lot, and I would say too, like another big one is um, problems in the partnership in the marriage or relationship with partner can be like, 
another reason that people find their way to me, but a lot of times it's the symptoms of depression. So like, it doesn't have to look necessarily like sadness, crying, like low mood. It could be like, I feel nothing. Yeah. I feel numb. I'm yeah. totally disconnected from my baby. Like, um, I don't care. Or like, mm. it could look like something I see a lot actually. And women is like, this kind of postpartum rage that happens where it's like, I'm not depressed actually. Like I feel kind of happy, but I keep raging at my partner or at my kid or at my dog or like whatever, you know? So that too can be just sort of like a signal that things, that there's something to look at there. Do you see as you, as you kind of dig in with these clients are there patterns that you see that are underneath this that that uh, or are these symptoms are the deeper issues unique or are the deeper mm-hmm. issues do you see patterns mm-hmm. yeah that's a good question i mean as i'm thinking about it now i'm thinking i definitely see patterns i think there's a lot of trends especially like when we think of like women in modern parenting culture mm-hmm. And so I think that like there can be trends in how that's expressed, how their distress is being expressed. But I also think it's always really unique to the person and their particular history and like what they are arriving to parenthood with, right? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you have a history of trauma, particularly like childhood or developmental trauma, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to have a hard time in parenthood, but it does set you up to like a particular sensitivity to maybe like having a colicky baby or having triple breastfeeding or having some conflict with your partner around like adjusting, right? Like it kind of, um, there's vulnerabilities Mm. in people's particular individual background. I can appreciate that. The sensitivity, that sense that, um, and Oh God, I, I think what a beautiful way to start to prepare for bringing a child into your, your family. However, that child is brought into your family with, with some attunement and preparation in a sense, knowing that you have, will have sensitivities, we'll all have something. And I think part of the challenge is this, the, you know, this kind of, you're, you're, you enter into parenthood, uh, you know, or, or caregiving and um, we're presented with a, a picture of you got like a, you know, nine month old on your hip from di- week two, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you're totally. getting plenty of sleep and you're out in the world right. and everything is fine, you know? Right. And they're ah, just so cute, but it's like, so cute. <laughs> they right. don't hardly cry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're out with your friends, you know, do, doing your thing. Right. And, and how often does that happen? Oh, never. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would imagine. So there's gotta be this, this double, uh, this like reactive thing going on. So there's, the underlying issues, maybe history of trauma or whatever the case is. And Mm -hmm. then we have these acute symptoms that are bringing uh, Mm -hmm. clients to you. And then there is likely shame on top of this, that why aren't I just the perfect, happy mom? Big time. Big time. And I, I mean, I love that you noticed that because I feel like that's probably like top three themes and pretty much like all perinatal clients that I see is like some aspect of shame of, you know, why am I not enjoying this? Why am I not loving my baby? I'm not, you know, I'm not the mom that I want to be. Mm. I'm disappointed in who my baby is. I'm disappointed in who my partner is now. A lot of why shoulds. am I having such a hard time? Yeah. A lot of shoulds. Why am I having such a hard time? Mm-hmm. And everybody else, you know, on Instagram is so beautiful and happy and, you know, just all the <laughs> oh, bullshit. Right. Oh, right. And, <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's the thing is that it is different in the perinatal period, but it's also like shame kind of rules all of us, like mm-hmm. in all of our challenges, wherever we are finding struggle, like you usually don't have to dig too far to like find the shame. Right. Oh, and so I feel like that's, that's often like in terms of the patterns that you're asking about, those are the patterns that I see, but it just looks a little different on everyone. And then, and then too, like with that is the pattern of expectations versus reality of yes. parenting. And I just think that like, in a way that's part of it because you can't, you guys know, like you can probably be told over and over again before you have children, like watch out. It's hard. This is hard. This sucks. This <laughs> so isn't true. fun. It's not going to be what you think. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. And then all of a sudden your baby comes and you're like, 
You can't know until you know, right? Like, yeah, it's something that until you've experienced it, you haven't experienced it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's like another layer here and something that we, that really led us into this work is that I think for parents of our generation, I think just in, in anyone who's had a child in the last maybe 15 or 20 years, parenting is like a life project. It's like one of the most important, if not the most important things that we ever will do. And, and we, we feel like this is like, this is so important to us. You know, this is what we mm-hmm. want to do. And then it happens and it's so hard <laughs> and there's so yeah. many challenges. And yeah. now not only that, but now we have Instagram or whatever else going on. And like, mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, like just lots of feedback that you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine that, that, that just having this, this sense that uh, not only is this hard and I'm seeing other people who seem to be doing it just fine, but like this thing is super important to me. It's not something that I can just be like, yeah, oh, you know what? Whatever. Uh, uh, I tried. <laughs> right. I'll just <laughs> tennis, and you know, I didn't really like tennis that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, and like I think that that is why it's so important, but also like why it has the potential to be so transformative and meaningful for people. Because I think, um, I mean, not to say that like parenting my kid is all about me. But like, in some ways it is mm-hmm. all about me, right? Yeah. Like it's about them, <laughs> yes. but it's about me also really looking super close at my shit. I mean, like I'm a therapist. I've been in therapy like the majority of my life and becoming a parent made me see myself and look at my darkness in a way that like I had never even touched. Oh, heck yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so that's powerful. powerful. Yes. Yeah. I think that it's painful and excruciating, but I think with the right support and reflection and space like i actually think i'm gonna sound w- really out there and woo-woo but i'm kind of like this is how we can like heal the world it's like uh, yes. this kind of Speak. healing you know no, this we're is it this completely. is why we're doing the family thrive this yeah is no this yeah. is it so i'm a i'm a visual person and for yeah. if for those listening not that i can can help visualize this anymore but i'm seeing something like like an onion or something with many many mm-hmm. layers and i just want to like recap them really quick because i'm hoping that there might be some moms who listen to this, who then get are able to get a greater sense of the entire landscape um, and geography for themselves. If they have been thinking of this as just an intensely personal issue, um, mm. there's so much more to it than that. So it mm-hmm. is all we bring with us into parenthood, right? So it is mm-hmm. our um, unresolved um, traumas, our shadow work, all of yeah. all of this that we're bringing into it. And then we have the actual, like, physical, hormonal, very often trauma of childbirth. Um, 100%, yeah. Major physicality to it. Um, and then you have the uh, all of the compounded kind of emotional things. Then you have the expectations of what parenthood would be. You have the expectations of what you think it's going to be parenting, but it's actually caregiving, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? You have yeah. the expectations of what your baby's going to be. You have the ex- expectation of what your partners are going to be. You have the expectations of maybe what your family will be and how they'll respond. Mm-hmm. And then they have their expectations on you. And then you've got the stories and right. Mm-hmm. So you've got like the social, cultural, sometimes even historic, you know, aspects of this mm-hmm. um, coming forward and landing on your experience of mm-hmm. one day not having a baby, the next day having a baby and being charged mm-hmm. with this little human life has all of these layers around it. Um, mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, and 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 we, I think in our, in our culture, in our society, we like, you know, give you a balloon and some flowers and say, welcome to the rest <laughs> of your life, you know? But this is like, a, this is a profoundly monumental change. But I love about what you just what said before is that yes it's all of that but in that walking through like like doing the work through that contains mm-hmm. within it the the potential for our transformation and the transformation of the world well totally totally that's what i i love your visualization of that i think it it makes a lot <laughs> of sense i think that like i always kind of hesitate to go there because i i feel like it just i'm not like a super like sunshiny like idealistic person in general so it always feels a little strange I think this is something that I have really like come to understand and also believe is that the health of children 
but also of the family is rooted in the health and well-being of the mom. And I understand that there's a lot of ways in which that can be problematic to like say to say that, you know, in families with obviously like alternative structures or families where there is no mom or like Talking about systemic gender, issues and, and inequity. A, and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, but if we kind of just look at it like biologically, physiologically, I'd still do really stand by that, that the health of the mom is the health of the child, the partner the family and then our community and also treating those families where that's not the structure in a similar way with like similar care is really important, but that really needs to be made front and center. Because when you look at all of those layers, if you really feel it back, I feel like that is what is at the center of it. Mm. At the very center. Yeah. It's the heart of it. Beautiful. Speaking of the health of the mother, I'm curious to know, because we've had, uh, we had a wonderful guest on this podcast, Tiffany Gear, who specializes in, uh, in feeding and, mm. um, she's a, she's a dietitian and she actually works for a, she's like a, an amazing, uh, lactation specialist dietitian mm. who also is working on for a startup, bringing better formula. Uh, to this mm. country. And cool. it reminds me of the conversation of fed is best versus breast is best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be a shift happening in this country mm-hmm. where we're starting to understand that the mental health of the mother and the health of the mother is primary key number one. And 100%. that the yeah. focus on how exactly how a baby is fed and the kind of the disproportionate focus sometimes, depending on the setting you're in, um, mm-hmm can de- can detract from the health of the mother, um, that it's really kind of a partnership. Are you seeing, um, A, this conversation in your practice? And are you seeing these changes as well? Totally, totally. Um, I think, you know, if we think about like reasons that people end up in my office, especially for new moms, you know, brand new babies, mm-hmm. first time. I, I, I mean, I don't have a number like to actually quote, but I would guess it's like half related to issues around breastfeeding and feeding. Yeah. And the stresses that that's placing on her and on the partner and on the whole Mm -hmm. kind of support system and on baby a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it looks a lot of different ways for different people. Um, And, you know, I feel like through my own experience and my own challenges with that, with my oldest, I feel like I really kind of had a shift within myself from like, this is the ultimate good, you know, breastfeeding and not just the nutrition, but also the kind of like attachment um, yes. and like uh, sort of psychological, emotional advantages that are, mm-hmm. you know, that we get through that to really coming to understand that like all of that truly, like, I mean, I'm going to be like super basic about it. Like all of that is just bullshit. If mom's <laughs> mental health is not it's okay, oh, wow. like yes. it just doesn't matter what, yeah. the right. kid, I mean, it doesn't matter right. how you can give the kid truckloads of breast milk and if mom is suicidal or not bonded and connecting or if the partnership is disintegrating because of the stress around breastfeeding then it's worthless and so I know a lot of people would argue with me around that but I just obviously like have a very specific um, I think that's changing yeah I I really it is my my hope anyway and I and I think it's like a good challenge for us too like who work and like exist in this world to like be in that in between where it's like it's not that breastfeeding isn't wonderful it's amazing i I breastfed my kids it's incredible when it works it's Mm -hmm. an incredible experience for all and i feel really fortunate that i got to do it but i think like when you think about things like shame i mean i am working with moms who like have four and five-year-olds who are still working through the shame of not being able to breastfeed in the way that they imagined and it's like that's just not Okay. It's not okay. Thank you. It is not, it is not, no, no, it doesn't have to be this way. So I imagine one of the biggest issues is that breastfeeding seems to me the first and maybe the most powerful physical manifestations of mom providing for baby mom caring for it's, it's like the most, Oh my God. It's the most emotionally powerful instance of mom yeah. you, providing you know baby. this from experience as yeah. as a dad i mean we had we had significant um issues with 
with Max feeding at first, oh our 14 year old. So and, and Justin went to, we were in Santa Monica. He went to the local like breastfeeding support store. And, and mm-hmm. he's like, I need a nipple. That is like the closest thing to a human nipple. Cause we are going to make this work. And they were like, Sir, we will not sell that to you. Yeah, they refuse to Get sell it to out. me. Yeah. They're like, oh no. my God. So she just needs to try harder or she, I, something, need, or she needs both, like lactation yeah. consultants or whatever else. Harder, but like, you, need need to spend, you need to yeah. spend more money on lactation consultants first. Yeah. <laughs> my, who, whose focus was they were just like, just shove his face on. I mean, it was just, just shove it. It wasn't like that baby finds its way down. I had a baby mm-hmm. with this arching back, like oh. refusing. Mm-hmm. To do it. So we take home a hospital yeah. pump. This is 14 years later. And I feel like it was like yesterday totally. to me. Take home oh, a hospital totally. grade pump. And and I was like, listen, I can pump and pump and pump, put it in mm-hmm. a bottle. And when we go to the farmer's market, I'll have him under a nursing cover. No one will know. No one will know. <laughs> <laughs> this is Santa Monica. Okay, Bridges. We cannot be going around feeding our newborn. <laughs> with a, you know, no, with a bottle. No, 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 no. So it's like it, a scarlet letter. It <laughs> is, it is, it is. And so when our second was born, now 11 years ago in Orange County, where ah, whatever you want to do, you know, it was mm-hmm. just a very different environment. Um, yeah. It was something that was just what, whatever you want to do, mom. But I remember a big moment with that was when they asked if they could take her to the nursery, if they could feed mm-hmm. her some formula so I could rest mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. mom who just had a, my second C-section. I was oh, like, gosh, yeah. I was like, yes, yes, I <laughs> yes. will rest. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> and thank you, which is something yeah. that is learned. So that brings me to another part mm-hmm. of this, which is that bringing the self-care into it where we feel like, yes, mm-hmm. these are the, these are the elemental foundational things. The other thing that I've heard um, is maybe one of the bigger issues for moms is birth method, birth choice, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like birthing methods. And so 100%. I've heard significant um accounts of traumas around like not wanting c-sections but needing a c-section wanting mm-hmm. a v-back but not being able to get one and then uh now more recently c-section mom saying you know my my child was also birthed like this is a legitimate form mm-hmm. of birth like um absolutely <laughs> you know child yes. wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this um so a yes. lot of it and you and like, you like go and you went through a process even yes. if it was a c-section <laughs> like that's still a process that yeah. your body goes through Yes, yes, absolutely. And so a lot of trauma around um, and and difficulty around all of the different uh, associations with how we bring Mm -hmm. these children into the world. And that is, it's a lot. I think too, like that speaks to like the layers that you were describing Mm -hmm. before, right? Because in all of this, it's like, there's a million different entry points for all this shame. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and it truly, I feel like this happens a lot. Like this comes up a lot in conversations I have with clients or just other moms. It's like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to be losing essentially in some area. You might feel like, okay, well, I got this part right, or I got this part right. But there's always going to be an area where you feel like I either didn't get the experience mm-hmm. that I want, or I didn't do it well enough, or I didn't do it right. And now I'm kind of like having to pay for that either in, you know, some consequence with my kid or consequence with my partner, or even just like in how I feel within myself. The the opportunity for shame is just like- Embedded throughout that whole onion. Yeah. And so how how do you think we as moms, okay, the assumption I'm making in asking this question is that we as moms don't always show up really well for each other in this. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we're bringing our our stuff in, right? Mm -hmm. Just like the boundaries that you talked about with everything, just like our boundaries around parenting. As friends, uh, um, we can often bring our own baggage in and Mm -hmm. uh, not really hold the space for for those Mm -hmm. around us. Do you think we can show up better for each other? Do you think we're capable of... of I do. I mean, I think that through having conversations like this, I think that that can be possible for sure. What I think is really important is just kind of naming all of the, you know, like really shitty messages that we receive, right? And like naming that maybe they have good intention. Like, again, you know, breastfeeding is wonderful. But when it starts to switch into something that's like generating shame or pressure or whatever, and it's not working anymore. And I feel like my sense of women, families, everyone could start to kind of see 
the parent, let's just say more generally, the parent is like the center of the family health, that like that would really shift how we talk about that, right? Because then if we had that understanding among us, then when your friend comes to you and is like, oh, I'm having a really hard time breastfeeding and I'm really stressed out, the go-to wouldn't be like, well, just try harder. It would be mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what right. do you need to feel okay? Right. Like, do you need to try more or do you need to quit or do you need something else or whatever? Mm-hmm. So I do think it's possible. I just think there's a lot of work to do. That's a powerful a shift though that you're talking about. I mean, yeah. I think the shift that re- you're referring to is really amazing. And I think it also represents a way that we can, um, we've talked with uh, another therapist, her friend Jenny Walters around mm-hmm. um, uh, around the use of language and creating kind of the growth of language that is empowering us to show up for each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this is something with with parenthood um, and caregiving that we can, we can do if we, I love the point of, if we can center, start with the health of that parent and mm-hmm. then everything else, like from that, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like starting with quality of life over treatment method when it comes from our uh, nonprofit background, right? Start with totally. that quality of that life. And then we say, it's not, you know, it sounds like when you talk about, you know, needing a C-section, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Sounds like that maybe saved your life or your baby's life. You know, this is something, exactly. this is powerful. Like this is a, this is um, right. almost miraculous that we can right. do this, you know? So I love the shift that yeah. you're talking about. I'd like for us to be able to do that work and support that shift in the family thrive. So I want to be selfish here and just ask a little bit about dad. Yeah, so, sure. Of course. Yeah. So you work exclusively with moms, but I'm wondering what you're hearing, what, what, you're, what you're seeing from these mm-hmm. new moms in regards to the challenges that the new dads mm-hmm. face, what are these dads mm-hmm. going through? So I'll start with that. What are the challenges? And then, you know, how mm-hmm. can dads uh, get their act together so um, they can be more supportive? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, you know, issues of support of the partner are always an element. I just think it's hard, right? Like it's hard to find that balance, even in when dads or partners are like the most involved, you know, motivated. Um, active participants, it's just really hard as new parents to like find what is that new groove going to be. So I think that where I am usually hearing about that is trying to navigate, how do I navigate this new relationship with my partner? And like a lot of the time with women, it's about working with resistance around like asking for help and then accepting the help that's given if it's not exactly what is wanted, right? Mm. And so to me, I feel like the most effective way to do that is working with the couple because I think it only goes so far if it's just mom in a session talking about it because dad obviously has their their own experience. But also just big picture, dads also go through like postpartum mental health challenges, you know, and depression and anxiety and trauma come up for dads like almost as often as it does, as it happens for moms, at least from the couple's work, have you seen are the underlying mm-hmm. issues same? Where it's you know mm-hmm. maybe some some unprocessed trauma coming up yeah. through this. I or- think I think a lot of it, and I and I think it is very much about that about where they're kind of coming from when they arrived in parenthood. But I think it's also um, something I see a lot here, especially like in Savannah, which is obviously like a very different kind of culture than like what I'm accustomed to come probably from you guys too, coming from, you know, more like huge urban environment. I think there's still so much just all around general mental health stigma mm-hmm. and like resistance around emotional vulnerability that men experience um, oh that I'm gosh. seeing in a lot of dads and like just, you know, basically toxic masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of times I'm either seeing in couples or hearing about from mom, a dad who is clearly struggling, maybe with mental health or addiction or trauma or whatever, and is completely cut off to that struggle. And so in a lot of ways, mom is showing up with her own challenges, but I almost see it as like kind of a symptom of this other issue. Right. It's Mm. almost, it's, it's kind of like a scapegoat, right? Like mom shows that because it's more like socially acceptable for a mom to say, well, I'm kind of depressed after I had a baby than it is for dad to say, 
well, you know, I'm up all night because I'm suicidal and can't stop imagining horrible things or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah. So wow. to me, it's, it's also just about talking about that and also like just trying to work against our sort of patriarchal structures. Oh my <laughs> that, gosh. And there's so much, this, oh my know? gosh. Yes. And there's so much, uh, there's so much work to do. Yeah. This is, this is one thing that I, yeah, that I hope that we can do a lot more work around with the family thrive is, is dads and absolutely and emotions like can 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 we as dads start to get in touch with our own emotions because for mm-hmm. most boys grow up in north america mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. most of our emotions are suppressed from a young age and then totally. when, and then when we have kids what we end up doing is suppressing their emotions because we don't and want ours. we don't want to deal with it <laughs> yeah yeah like i your challenging emotions are too much for me so i need to yeah so i need to suppress those yeah right and i think like I, I think similar it's kind of similar to what i'm saying like a lot of the times i feel like i am seeing a mom in therapy who is having like a lot of, you know, marital or relationship trouble, a lot of trouble sort of managing transition into parenthood. But the more and more I dig, I realize like she's sort of like expressing the challenges of the dad in a lot of ways. Yeah. And she she has kind of been identified as the problem person. And I, I mean, this has happened more times than I can say where mm. I'm often like, I, I really think I have the wrong person in this room Absolutely. right now. Mm. You know, oh my gosh. like it's, so, oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> um, it's hard. That's hard to deal with, especially if dad is resistant or just not interested in hearing that. You know, like the therapist saying that is not necessarily going to win him over. But yeah. I think again, it comes back to like those larger conversations that we just have about like what it means to be a parent, what it means to be man, woman, have emotions, be vulnerable, like, and probably it just comes back to like how we raise our kids, right? Like, I don't. I know you guys have a boy. I don't have boys, but I think about this a lot with parents with boys. It's like, Mm -hmm. it must feel like a a tremendous burden to have to like really reprogram how boys exist in the world, like emotionally. Oh yeah. Because you're still up against uh, the world. Yeah. Yeah. They have to go out in the world and be friends with other boys who are, you know, having their emotions suppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Selfishly, now I want to move on to talk more about practices. So, I mean, I would love to just start with me and say, Bridget, how can you help me? But I'll, 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 I'll start. I'll, I'll start with uh, new moms and dads. And so, yeah. are there some daily practices or some regular practices that you recommend to your clients, mm-hmm. where you say, you know, if you can just take a little bit of time and do this, or take a little bit mm-hmm. of time that yeah yeah for sure i mean i think with practices like it always depends on the person because what works for you might not necessarily work for the next person we're all just sort of wired differently but i think um with new parents especially like new mamas like say first three to six months one of the the, i I, like make some prescriptions and one of them is like you have to get outside every single day Mm, Um, i love that and it doesn't matter like if it's pouring rain or a hundred degrees, like it yeah. is in Savannah a lot of the time, but like you have to like see the sky and like see the earth and like get some sensory input from outside every day. Um, even if it's just for like 30 seconds, you have to do that every day. And then also you have to have some time away physically away from your baby where you can't see, hear, smell or touch them um, every single day. And again, like that could be a minute or whatever mm-hmm. she might be able to tolerate because some moms really can't tolerate that. It's too anxiety provoking. But so those are really big ones. And then I also just think, I feel like what I'm sort of always working with all clients around, but especially the new parents is trying to like learn about and understand how you um, best regulate your own emotions and nervous system. Because I think this is the thing, like, again, this like comes back to what you were saying. Like we have to like teach our kids this, but a lot of us don't know how to do this for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and truly like I I didn't Mm -hmm. really before. I mean, I feel like I had an idea of like, Oh, you know, I like yoga. I like to take a walk. I like the beach, but like, that was like sort of the extent of it. And now I feel like I really, really know, okay. Like these are the things that like I actively can do to regulate myself. And so 
that's something that I'm always trying to really work on is like identifying what are those things offering out like some options based on what I feel like might work for the person, but also just having, having them experiment with different things. Cause like for some people meditating and breathing is great. And for other people, it's like the worst and they need to go like run, you know, 10 miles or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And and it doesn't matter what it is. It's just about like, do you feel a sense of your body and your nervous system has been regulated? Okay. Then do that. We have to carve out time for that. That can feel all of those things can feel like a lot to a new parent with a little baby who's totally overwhelmed, but it's also like totally possible. It's totally possible. And it's Mm -hmm. vital. Like I didn't really understand this, I think, until our son was diagnosed. Mm. That that if I am not taking care of myself, I'm actually doing him a disservice. Like I can't show up for him or mm-hmm. I'll get triggered a lot easier or I, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I have to take care of myself. And so it's not just mm-hmm. like a luxury of like, so these prescriptions, I can imagine there are some moms who are like, well, I can't possibly take the time to go outside. And, and I mean, I, you know, I have so much to do and it's like, no, 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 this is vital. Yeah. Like, like you're doing your child a service totally. when you take care of yourself. Totally. Well, that's it's so true. And I feel like I am often using that reframe, especially with the new mamas of like, this is because I, what I hear all the time is like, well, I feel like I'm selfish. I feel like yes. I'm selfish if I go and mm. do yoga for yes. five minutes. Yes. And I'm just like, you are not doing this for you. Yes. You are doing this for your entire family, like yeah. all the kids, your partner. It's like, make no mistake that like this kind of like self-care, I feel like it's talked about a lot. It's like, oh, I go get a manicure, I get a massage. Right, totally. And I'm like, that's nice, but that's not what this is. This is actually, it's that's why I like describe it as like, it's self-regulation and you are actually doing that for everyone else who relies on you. Not It's not for you. What are some of the most common reframes or, um, mm. a- as you put it, or mm-hmm. common areas uh, like this that you're sharing with parents? So it's self, self-care mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is care for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other ones that, you're, that, that are common for you? Let's see. I feel like um, that's probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think also like kind of coming back to the shame piece, I feel like mm-hmm. a big reframe is that kind of like language that we use to speak to ourselves when we're in shame is harmful to us in a way that also can really harm our children. Right. And so I think the reframe I often use is what would it be like for you to use this kind of language with your kid? And like, what could it be like, even if it doesn't feel authentic, even if you don't believe it, because most people are like, that's bullshit, but like, just pretend, what would it be like to talk to yourself the way that you talk to your kid? just to kind of feel into mm. like how weird that is, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or wait, you said practice. talk, talk yeah. to yourself the way you talk to your kid. Do you, you mean talk to mm-hmm. your kid the way you talk to yourself? No, I mean oh. like, it's like, like for example, if you have like a sweet name that you call your kid, like, Oh, oh lovey, I Oh, see. sweetie. Oh, talk to yourself in that way. Oh, I see. You yes. know, Oh, it's okay that like, you know, you broke your favorite toy. Like everything's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. So the reason Mm -hmm. that I got mixed Mm -hmm. up there is because I heard of of this from another therapist about Mm -hmm. in regard to uh, the inner critic, these, Mm -hmm. uh, this Mm self-shame that uh, imagine yourself at age like three or four. And saying that same thing to, to yourself, how stupid you are, how bad, you know, and how this is such a powerful reframe for so many people and many people when in therapy this is this is what i heard will mm-hmm. start to cry when they think about talking to the to themselves at 3 or 4 the way they talk to themselves now totally totally that is such a powerful practice um, just thinking about practices, I think it's not one that everyone is available for mm-hmm. but if that is if it feels like that's a path that someone can go down. I like absolutely try to guide them down that, like, especially because kind of like what we're talking about, like having children can be like incredibly triggering of our own Mm. childhood (laughs) shit. Right. And what I see a lot of the time is say you had something particularly like traumatic or challenging going on, like at age five, when your kid gets to be age five, Mm. it's like, you know, all of this comes back. Right. So 
similar to what you're talking about, like I've suggested for some clients who are dealing with things like that, like finding a photo of themselves at that age and just like sticking it on the bathroom mirror and just kind of having that kid be part of like your everyday Mm. experience that you're like walking by and thinking about because it's really hard to be shitty to that like little kid or teenager or whatever age it is, but kind of like identifying the moment that feels like the most traumatic or where there's the most pain left over and trying to like center your vision of yourself at that age. Yeah. So I, I just like kids really help us do that because they're right there. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I love the the reframe then uh, of Mm -hmm. uh, talking to yourself as you talk to your kids. So the same mm-hmm. love that you're, spe- that you're, that you're able to show your kid. You, you yeah. It's similar to, to like, you know, if you, would you talk to your best friend this way? Would you, sh- yeah. would you, totally. I mean, would you really talk to anyone else this way? To anyone that way. <laughs> Usually not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay. yeah that, that's, totally. That's powerful. Totally. A lot of that kind of falls into like what I would call like self-compassion work, mm-hmm. which I like, you know, there is like a whole kind of practice around self-compassion that I will draw from a lot, but I feel like with moms, especially that applies somewhere because it's really, um, even for the mom who might be like, no, I'm totally confident and I love myself and I never should talk myself. There's still some element of like, but you're not actually being that kind <laughs> to you, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. in relationship to this. And I know it's, in, it's individual. It's not, it's not everyone. Um, by any means. Mm-hmm. And I, and I can only generate, we can only, you know, attempt to generalize a little bit. When we talk about the dangers of dangers, but um, issues with social media and mm. the, the comparisons, um, the FOMO, like all, all mm. of these things. Do you find with, with any of your clients that it's helpful for them to take breaks or one of our yeah. therapists said, you know, she's like, I teach, try to teach like a mindful skill of as soon as I get that, like, oh, this isn't good. That first, like, mm-hmm. uh, feeling, turn it off. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. I feel like I'm often kind of talking people through, like, harm reduction with mm, social harm media. Harm reduction, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that that's a good way of doing it, of, like, noticing when do you start to spin out or when does your body start to react and shutting it off. But I think, um, too, like, I, this is one thing I've suggested a lot, is, like, if it feels really hard to take a break from social media, like, okay, keep it but give your, like, make a choice of like, I give myself 20 minutes a day. And then in those 20 minutes, you like set a timer and you do like full on deep dive, like look at, get as much as you can, like just go, go wild. And then that's it. And then you're done. Um, Because obviously like for all of us, there's the capacity to just like lose an hour just scrolling or whatever. And then all of a sudden you don't realize, Oh, wait a second. I feel really shitty you know, mm-hmm. catches up with you later, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's, and it, it makes me think too, is we, we can talk about this maybe on mm-hmm. the next uh, time we get to talk oh, with yes. you next chat, we but screen time, for example, with the mm-hmm. kids, you know, it always mm-hmm. occurs to me, like if I had that 20 minute timer, we could do the 20 minutes together, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I put them on a timer or a time limit. Yeah. Right. And then they see <laughs> mom continuing to go. And it's, I'm like, well, I, I'm working. I, you know, I, I I'm, I am working, <laughs> you know, really hundred percent of that is work. No, not at all. Right. So I do think that yeah. self-regulation has really powerful modeling. And I think that that's, there's, there's a lot in that, that can, that the family can benefit from mm-hmm. as well. Totally. How can people find out more about Bridget Cross? I have a website. That's probably the best way. And it is um, BridgetCrossLCSW.com. And then I have a Facebook also, which is also BridgetCrossLCSW.com. So those are my my ways of finding me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) All right. So our final three questions that we Mm -hmm. ask all of our guests. Mm -hmm. First... Mm -hmm. Bridget, if you were able to put a post-it note on every mm-hmm. parent's refrigerator tomorrow morning, what mm-hmm. would that post-it note say? Yeah, I saw this question and I like went through a million different answers from like simple <laughs> to complicated. <laughs> I feel like there's so many of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so 
I, this is totally cheating, but I want to give you two. One is just like to say like you are not alone. Cause I just think that that can be really yes. soothing to one's nervous system, like on every level. Yeah. Um, and can mean a lot of different things to different people. But the other is um, it's like a really quick poem that I have like put around on post-it notes for myself in different moments of life um, by Raymond Carver. Um, and it's actually, he's a fiction writer who wrote like in yeah. the seventies and eighties and is like amazing and wonderful, but it's a little poem that he wrote. That's I think it's actually on his tombstone, but I will read it to you. I pulled it up because I wanted to make sure I kind of know it by heart, but I didn't want to mess it up. So can I read it to you? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So it, it's just a few lines. It says, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. So no, I feel like every parent, every parent like yes. needs that, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, we need yeah. that on our refrigerators. Oh, for sure. We do, we do. I think it's like, um, you know, it's soothing that we need so that we can soothe. That that kind of covers the next question: is uh, is there a recent quote that you've oh, read yeah. that yeah. has that has changed the way you think or feel? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. It's not recent to me, but I feel like it's one that I always come back to. There's a book that I've been reading um, that's kind of like all about my jam right now. It's called Call of the Wild um, by Kimberly Ann Johnson. Um, Mm. She is amazing. She's um, like a somatic practitioner and um, she was a postpartum doula and she wrote an amazing book called The Fourth Trimester that's about all of what we're talking about. But this is about somatic practices for healing trauma. And I don't have the actual quote of it, but I'm going to paraphrase it, which is basically that like we work in the body to heal trauma in the present for the past. Oh, yeah. And so like that to me, I mean, I've been kind of in this book for a few weeks now, but that has sort of really stuck with me. It a little bit reverses, I think, how like talk therapy usually works, which Mm -hmm. is like talking about the present, talking about the past to heal the present. I actually think that it like needs to be reversed. Beautiful. I, I, I think, well, we're going to add the, the book to the show notes for, yes, sure. for sure. And it's an amazing, um, amazing book. It's yeah. something that I'd like to read is making me think a book yeah. club um, might be in order. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So it was working in the body in the present to heal the past. Yeah. Was that right? Yeah. Totally. Yep. Totally. Yep. So, yeah, and right. that, yeah, that like, that is the kind of trauma healing work that she is writing about in this yes. book, that that's the focus of it. So the final question is one that we ask every guest, because as you all know, parenting isn't always sunshine and roses. And so it's nice to just remember what we love about childhood and what we love about (laughs) kids. And so Bridget, what do you love about kids? I will answer like what I love most about my kids, because that's like mostly my experience of kids Mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very common is that kids, at least younger ones, exist in the present like they're mm-hmm. like the ultimate mindful present awareness and like being in the moment and that's whether they're like experiencing something like emotionally Huge, yeah. or like telling <laughs> or imagining something or drawing something yeah so that they're automatically by nature present beings yeah, yeah. totally they're like in the moment and like i think especially being like in play with them like is the ultimate mindfulness mm-hmm practice or like practice of being in the moment, regardless of what is going on, like in our own internal storms, you know? I I love that. I think it's a really powerful reflection. It resonates a lot with me. And the thing that came up for me when you, when you mentioned it is again, kind of some of the theme of what we're talking about today is sometimes, or most often, I, I know they'll be present and it's, it's an awe-inspiring, like beautiful place to be with them. But so often we're not present and we're like wanting to get shoes on and get out the door or go do like uh, whatever the things are. And so um, I think like we then bring that cloud of everything else we're thinking about into their present presence. Totally. And I think it's such a good reminder to that, that that is a state to be honored. Yes. We have, you know, kind of boundary things need to get done in our days and all of that. But to, to know that this isn't just like, in insolence or, you know, that, that your children don't have you in mind or whatever it might be. It's like another way state of being almost. Yeah. Totally. Reminder. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it's like closely connected, connected, I think, to like the sense of compassion, right? Because we're not also always able to be present with them because it's life and we need to like get out the door and get the shoes on or whatever. But I think that like I have found anyway that my kids are just like a good reminder that like I can be in the moment. And also that like if I screw up a moment and like yell at somebody or I'm not mm, so nice. There's a, yeah, there's another moment. <laughs> that's, that's what I love about my kids and kids in general. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you. So nice to talk with you. Thank you so much. This is a fantastic conversation. And I really hope that we can, we can work together more. And I think what you bring to the world is so valuable and needed. And you have, you know, a beautiful practice here in Savannah. And we'd like to be a part of um, bringing you to um, an audience that needs you outside of Savannah too. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad for to meet you guys. I'm like just excited for the work that you guys are doing too. Thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, no, it's fun. Thank you. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends, and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey.